the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Being a follower of Jesus Christ is understanding what his kingdom is all about. That his kingdom is about his reign in your heart and in your life. That's what it means to follow Christ. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. Chapter 1, let's begin reading in verse 1. In the first book, I, that's Luke, Ophiophilus, that's who he's writing to, uh, a name which literally means lover of God. So I like to think that if you're a lover of God, this is written to you, just as it's written to me. I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do. We know that this is the second of Luke's two books in the Bible. What's the first book that Luke wrote? Class? Luke, I like it when you get an easy question right. He wrote the Gospel of Luke, and then he wrote the book of Acts. And so this is his second book. Notice what he says in the first book. I dealt with all that Jesus began. It's a word which means, yes, he did some things, but that's not all he did. He just started. How many of you recognize today that God's still at work in the world around us? I'm so thankful that he's still at work within my life. If, if I have a sign that I could wear around my neck, it would be under construction. God's not finished with me yet. So I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now, this is the first time we see in Dr. Luke's writing one of the main themes of the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit of God. We're going to talk about that in a moment, but I want to remind you that in spite of some of what we think and perhaps some of what we feel and maybe even some of what we have sung, the Holy Spirit is not some unknowable being that comes onto us through the air vents or the smoke dispensers or the lights as we worship and we get that feeling that we feel when we feel a feeling we've never felt before. No, the Holy Spirit of God, as Jesus promised and as the book of Acts teaches, as the Bible tells us, comes into us when we begin that relationship with God. He's the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is a person. And Dr. Luke's telling us here in Acts how important he is, not only to what the apostles would do, but to what we will do. He presented himself, that's Jesus, alive to them, that's the apostles, after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them for 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And there we see another theme in the book of Acts, the kingdom of God. Jesus had talked a lot about the kingdom of God, and now here in Acts, we're going to begin to see what the kingdom of God really is all about. At this moment, the disciples still don't understand that. They're still confused about what is this kingdom of God. By the way, I think of Jesus appearing to the disciples and others during the 40 days after the resurrection, before his ascension into heaven. 
History records he appeared to at least 500 people. And yet when we meet them in Jerusalem, only 120 showed up. Now that makes me feel good about the Sunday after Easter. A lot of pastors were kind of moaning and groaning about what we may encounter today, knowing that everybody got a church fix in last week. Maybe they won't show back up on Easter weekend. Well, even after the risen Christ appeared to 500 people, only 120 showed up at the moment of import. And so there he'd appeared to them. He had shown them the proof that he was the God. And while staying with them, it says in verse 4, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Now, he's told them about the promise of the Father. In John 14, remember he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many what? They're mansions, and I'm going to prepare one for you. And if I go, I will come again to take you to be where I am. Thomas says, we don't know where you're going. And he says, I... I'm the way, the truth, the life. Anyway, my peace I'm leaving. We're going to come back to John 14 in a minute. Let's continue. You've heard me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus is telling them what he's told them in John 14 is going to happen, that when I leave, I'm sending another, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to come. John baptized you. He immersed you, so the outside of you got wet. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to come into you, and all of you will be overwhelmed with the Spirit of God. This morning, I was reading in Oswald Chambers. It's a good habit. My utmost for his highest. Listen to what he said this morning. The Holy Spirit cannot be accepted as a guest in merely one room of the house. He invades it all. And once I decide that my old man, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation, the old is past, all things have become new. Once I've decided that the old man, my heredity of sin, should be identified with the death of Jesus, the Holy Spirit invades me and he takes charge of everything. That's what Jesus was saying. You've known what it was like to experience baptism with water, an outward symbol, a ritual that I've told you to do that shows others that you follow me, but you're going to be invaded by the Holy Spirit of God. And that's going to be significant. Look at the next verse. So when they come together, they ask him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of heaven? Now here you just see that we can find comfort from the disciples because they, they just don't get it, do they? Jesus, the resurrected Christ, had just said, you're going to get the Spirit of God. And they say, all right, does that mean that's when the kingdom starts? Now, what do they mean by the kingdom? They're thinking of the kingdom that had kings like they had studied about. King David, King Solomon, when Israel was the ruling power of the world, not Rome. But they didn't get it. So they say, is uh, this going to be the time when you restore the kingdom to Israel? One question was about the kingdom. One question was about the time, and they use the word for time, chronos. You'll recognize that. That's how we think about time, sequential time, time as we know it. So they say, is this the chronos? Is this when you're going to work? And some of us ask that question of God, don't we? Lord, when are you going to show up? When am I going to stop suffering? When are you going to do what I want you to do? When are you going to respond in the way I need you to respond? What time, what chronos are you going to work in in my life? but they didn't understand the time because Jesus is going to answer them. He says to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. It's not for you to know the chronos or the kairos. The kairos is the seasons. In other words, I, I want you to understand time differently. 
We need people like we found in the book of 1 Chronicles in chapter 12 and verse 32, the sons of Issachar who said, understood the time. We need people who, like in Ephesians 5, 16, Paul says, understand that the days, the the seasons, the times are evil. And we need people like that today because these are crazy and chaotic times, aren't they? We need people who are looking into God's Word and, and relying on the power of the Spirit and saying, God, in these days, at this time, in, in this kairos, this season, we need to understand what it is that you want of us, not just to do what we've always done. Well, we're like the disciples. We're living between the times. You're going to see in this passage, it's between the time that Jesus ascended into heaven and the, the time that he's going to descend from heaven and and come back. And, and what we do in the times is the issue. That's what makes us world changers when we live out for his glory in the times. So he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the father is fixed by his own authority. But one of the most familiar verses in the Bible, verse eight, but you will receive power from the Holy Spirit who has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's my little corner of the world. Say that, say, that's my little corner of the world. That's my little corner of the world, in Jerusalem. And in Judea. Judea is, is where they were from. That's their country. That's their people. Say, that's my people. So we're to start in our little corner of the world, and, and then we're to go to our people. And then he says, in, in Samaria. Judea was right next to Samaria. So if you lived in Judea, you could easily get to Samaria. Say this, say, I can get to them. See, you're even getting a little more timid when we branch out, right? Say, I can get to them. Sure you can. You can get to Judea. And then he says, and to the end of the earth. Now, that's everybody. Say, that's everybody. So who are you responsible for? That's right. That's the Great Commission. And every follower of Jesus Christ is called to leverage their lives for the Great Commission. Nobody gets a pass. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the words of Jesus in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 are for you just as clearly as they are for me, for every disciple of Christ, for every missionary who's ever lived, for every preacher, for every musician. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you do not get an excuse. You are called to leverage your life for the cause of Christ. You may not serve him vocationally, but you are to make that your occupation. You are to be occupied serving Christ the name of Jesus. When he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. I love this moment because it's like Jesus gives them this big challenge and they're just standing there with their eyes big and their mouth open. And he starts taking the elevator up. Just as miraculously as he was born by a virgin. And Dr. Luke records that, you know, in Luke chapter one and Luke chapter two, he miraculously ascends back into heaven. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says, 
the Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to the Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. While they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, angels, and they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. In other words, why are you standing here staring? Get out there and get busy. And that's how you change the world. You understand that we come together for moments like these to get pumped up, to get charged up, to get revved up. We open the scriptures. We see what we're taught to do. We sing praise to God. We understand that we're not along because we're gathered together, but we don't spend most of our our week in rooms like this, do we? We spend most of our week not as a church gathered. We spend most of our week as a church scattered. And we are to scatter into the world as changers for his glory. Amen. How do you become a world changer? Well, the reality is it has something to do with those things that we mentioned just a moment ago. It does have to do with who you know. If you want to change the world, you have to know Jesus, the person who changed the world. That's what Luke is saying in verse 1. This is all about Jesus. For a season, we knew him face to face. He was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life as a man. He died on a cross. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. He raised on the third day. He appeared and showed himself alive to the disciples and anyone who would see for 40 days and then he ascended into heaven but even after that moment it's all about jesus what he began to do what he is doing and what he's going to do ct stood understood that he grew up in england and he played the sport cricket in fact he was one of the most world famous cricketers now, here in our nation, we're not real familiar with that sport, cricket. I have to tell you, though, if, if I'm going to be a well-known athlete, I might as well have the name Stud, right? That's a pretty good name. He was on England's national team as they battled for a championship. But his life was impacted by Jesus Christ. And he came to a moment where he began to think, everything I'm doing it's yielding no eternal value. I'm not really making a difference. I'm not changing the world. So he resigned. And he became a missionary. He first went to India. Then he went to China. He ended his life in Congo where he died on the mission field. Imagine LeBron James doing that today. Any athlete at the top of their career walking away. It's why when we hear this quote from C.T. Studd, we can know that he meant it. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. You see, when you understand that it's all about Jesus, you yield your life 
to his desire. You open your hands and say, God, I'm empty-handed before you. I want what you want. Oh, following Christ is so much more than saying a prayer. Though it begins with saying a prayer, it's so much more than being a part of church. Though you will want to be a part of his church, the church is the bride of Christ. Being one who follows Christ is yielding your life open-handed, saying, wherever you lead, I'll go. It's bending the knee, saying, God, I surrender, not my way, but your way, not my will, but your will. I want you to be the boss. Being a follower of Jesus Christ is understanding what his kingdom is all about, that his kingdom is about his reign in your heart and in your life. That's what it means to follow Christ. Have you yielded your life to Christ? At, at the core, that's why we have the scriptures. So that you will be yielded to Christ. Remember what we learned in John 20. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in the book. But these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That by believing you might have life in his name. The purpose of Scripture is not that you would know about God, but that you would know God. Because when you know God, it changes you, and you become a world changer. Don't be content with knowing what Jesus did. Live your life to get involved in what he's doing. Do you know God? Do you know the one who changed the world? If you want to be a world changer, it has to do with who you know. But listen to this. If you want to change the world, you have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he gives you the power to change the world. So it is about what you have, right? You have to have the power of the Holy Spirit. That's described in verse 2. It's described in verse 8. It's described in verse 5. That the Holy Spirit comes to you and gives you the power to do what God wants you to do. Now, I told you we're going to come back to John 14. Did you know in John 14, after Jesus had that interaction with the disciples, let not your heart be troubled, you believe in God, believe also in me. He later goes on to tell them, guys, I'm sending you a helper. And as a result of that helper, you're going to be able to do greater things than you've seen me do. Now, I want to just say that to you again. Jesus, in John 14, said that he was sending us the helper. Who is the helper? It's the Holy Spirit. And that as a result of the Holy Spirit in us, we're going to be able to do greater things than he did. Now, the early church believed that. In fact, the Apostle Paul put it this way in Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. According to what? The power that's at work within us. What's the power? It's the Holy Spirit. Luke was saying, You're going to have the opportunity to have the power to change the world, but you've got to recognize that power. How does the Holy Spirit give us power? Well, he he enlightens us, right? 
Do you ever have those moments as a follower of Christ where you're, you're thinking about doing something and all of a sudden you get that nudge in your spirit to say, ah, this is not a good idea. Spiritual discernment, guidance, enlightenment. You know what else the Holy Spirit does? He energizes us. When we feel like giving up, when we feel like we can't go on, and we say, God, I can only do this in your power. So the Holy Spirit energizes us. The Holy Spirit enlightens us. He energizes us. And then he encourages us. You know what it means to encourage? It means to put courage in. So the Holy Spirit is what gives us boldness. It's what gives us the ability to keep on keeping on. It's what gives us the ability to step out in faith and do that which no one else is doing. John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, he he said, "Could could it be that the Holy Spirit, which was essential in doing everything that the early church did for the glory of God, has become irrelevant to the church today? What's taking place in your life that's only done through the power of the Holy Spirit? I have to tell you, I'm getting old enough to be ornery when it comes to church. I've been around church people all my life, 52 years. And the reality is I often hear about what we can't do. I, I can't share my faith because I'm afraid. I, I can't give because I've got too many bills. I, I can't go because I don't speak a language or I don't know what I would do. I, I can't, I can't, I can't. And we're no different than a child who whines about what they do when God's Word says if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've got the power of the Holy Spirit. And guess what? There's nothing God can't do. What greater things does God have in store for you that will only be accomplished by the power of the Spirit in your life? What is it that God has put in your mind? What, what dream, what way you can make a difference? It was five years ago that in our church, we had an evening much like the evening we're going to have this evening. Where we just wanted to expose you to what you could do right here in our community. We partnered with some friends in ministry and we told you about adoption and foster care and the danger of human trafficking and the problem of abortion. It was a great evening. So many of you came back, just as I hope you will this evening, where we do a similar event. I remember after that evening, I went home and I I turned to my wife after just a good day as a pastor. You felt like you're doing the right things because it's the half-brother of Jesus that said, this is pure and undefiled religion and that you take care of the widows and you take care of the orphans. And man, I had challenged the church as the coach, as, as the pastor, to, to let's be about the right things, the main things. And so I looked at my bride and I, I said, you think that's us? <laughs> and she said, no, I, I feel like we're okay. And I remember just wiping my brow and thinking, thank you, Jesus. Me too. I think, you know, we've got four boys and we're getting a little older. And I I think we've got a a full plate. We're doing what God wants us to do. And it was the next day that I got a text on my phone. And the the text on the phone said, Pastor, do you think there's anybody in our church that it was open to foster care and, and and maybe interested in adoption? And I didn't respond by text. I picked up the phone and I called and I said, hey, friend, 
were you at church yesterday? And, and he said, no, I, I can't. We, we've got my, my great-granddaughter, and uh, there's just some challenges, and it, it, it's hard for us. And she's never been around people, and she was, been, she was born blind, and, and there's just all kinds of challenges. And I said, well, time out. That, that was not meant to, to make you feel any guilt. I just wanted you to know that that was the focus yesterday evening. And, and not only... Do I know we have some people? There are people signed up on a list, but as I said those words, I just stopped. And I said, give me 24 or 48 hours. And I'll never forget going home and telling that story to my bride and saying to her, do you think that could be us? And she looked me in the eyes and she said, I think that might be us. In 24 hours... The Holy Spirit of God worked in our lives and let us see that we could do what we thought we could not do because His power was already at work within us in ways that were exceedingly abundantly beyond what we had begun to think, dream, or imagine. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk AM 570 and 910. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.